0: So the, this is a great question. So when do you start taking x-rays on someone that you have grown up on the chiropractic care? <clears throat> so that's, that's an interesting question. Um, and it, it's definitely, um, there, there, there's a lot of conversation we can have about this. Uh, number one, I generally don't take x-rays of someone unless I have a reason. Um, and um, that is, it started w- back when I was actually using insurance So I had to justify all the x-rays. And now, because I usually have three or four interns on at a time, uh, Life University is also expecting me to justify x-rays, you know, two before I take them. So as much as I would love to take x-rays just to get listings, um, that's really not, uh, from an insurance standpoint, um, or like a Life University clinic standpoint, it's not really something that you can necessarily justify. Um, so generally speaking not that it's bad or wrong so I, I think it's great uh, it's just CBP and you know constantly use a lot of x-rays um, I usually only x-ray if there's trauma or if there's a reason to scoliosis um, something like that um, so to answer the question of to do this just, just to take a baseline um, I I guess it would probably depend on the, the person the child um, if they were like a super athletic kid I'd probably want to take them Earlier, just to see where they're at, to see like if you know the kid's going to be playing high school football, uh, it might be a good idea to do it like before he starts like tryouts in you know freshman tryouts, uh, just to see where it's at. So I would, in that sense, I would base it upon their activity level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I think I would do. Good, good. That's good. I like that. Good question. Any other questions? Come on, guys. This might be your last opportunity. Like I said last week, to do it for free. All right after this, now you're paying practice management companies thousands of dollars every month to ask the same questions oh. you can ask me. Eric, did you have a question? Yes, sir. I think we have some lingering stuff. But what are some of the red flags we should look out for to know someone's making or maybe trying to do insurance fraud? I'm sorry. Could you? I heard red flags about what? Insurance. Okay, okay, insurance fraud. So you're asking about insurance fraud, Erica? Mm-hmm. I think i it, one second, I'll it. All right, uh, well, it, I'll, I'll, it, just in case it is about insurance fraud, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> so uh, first of all, I don't take insurance. I stopped taking insurance five or six years ago. Um, uh, and th- th- I'll tell you why I stopped taking insurance, because um, I was there was in one particular year I think it was like 2015 or something like that um, I uh, Blue Cross didn't pay for any of the services I rendered the entire year and and so 2016 we spent like the first three months of 2016 going in on weekends and on nights and on Tuesday mornings and <laughs> like calling and calling and calling and finally I got it paid for um, oh, okay um, that's a good question too Camille I'll get to that in a moment um so so finally got a a lot of it paid for like after like 15 18 months of this and we had already been like slowly weaning off the insurance bandwagon at that time but after that i said that's it i'm done i don't want to do this anymore uh so as of i think it was 2016 january 1st 2016 we did not take insurance anymore and but we created care plans in my office had a monthly care plan packages that were super affordable and um and really, really worked well. And now I could say um, that we are making you know, way more money than I was with insurance than I was with it. Um, the only insurance I do use, work with right now is uh, auto insurance. So if a patient gets into an accident, they don't have to go somewhere else to, to use their claim. So I will use that as a courtesy. Um, uh, and I have a couple of lawyers that you know, work with me with that. But um, otherwise, uh, I don't use insurance at all. Um, because insurance is just a hassle. Not that you shouldn't or you can't. Uh, I have plenty of friends of mine who are insurance-based, and it's, they, they, it, the, the key thing with that is that you've got to have another human being in your office besides you working it. Uh, that's the number one thing, is you've got to have someone working it. You've got to have someone making phone calls because it's, it, is, it is a constant hassle. You've got someone else writing your reports. You can't sit there and spend all your time Writing reports, so you have to have. What I would, if I, if I was doing this again, if I I had to do it again, I would hire a uh, a med tech, someone who graduates from like Lincoln, you know, or some of these other like tech schools, and I would hire one of them to sit in the office all day long, and like you're going to make phone calls in the morning and you're going to write reports in the afternoon, Uh, because the med techs are trained on language, right? So they they understand subluxation and misalignment and you know, and CPT codes and ICD codes. They get all that kind of stuff. So that's how I would um, would, would deal with uh, with with that. And in terms of fraud, um, I will tell you just as a true story. This happened a number of years ago, but uh, I had a PI case. Um, one of my patients uh, was in an accident, and um, the insurance company was playing games. So we, this patient hired a lawyer. <clears throat> and but my, you know, my, even my fees, even my normal fees were never very high. I just, I just not, I'm not an overcharger. Uh, <clears throat> You know, I have some people who, who are charging insurance $300, a visit, um, you know, because they're doing this, 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 and all these extra codes and upcoding, coding up-charging. I'm charging like $60 an adjustment, right? So I remember this person uh, had, let, let's say, a $2,000 case for the three months of care uh, that they, um, you know, were, were doing, something like a $2,000, 3000 $2, case, and the, the, the lawyer calls me up and says, um, Dr. Rubin, uh, do, do you want to make more money? And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, you know, you're charging $60 per adjustment. You really should be charging minimum $120, $150 per adjustment. So why don't we just change all your fees to $100 an adjustment? And this, and then you'll get more on the settlement. So instead of getting like $2,000, you'll get $5,000 for your settlement. And let's pad it. Let's like, you, you don't put EM codes anywhere. Also like, he said, just let's pad this. I said, I'm not interested. He said, Wait, you don't want to make more money? You don't like money? Are you one of those guys? I said, Wait a second. I said, first of all, don't insult me. Um, I, you and I are working for our patient. Second off, this is what I did. This is what I do. If you don't like this, I'm sorry. We can find another lawyer you know, to work with this. But I will not do that. He said, but I don't get it. He said, I've asked like, thousands of chiropractors this over the course of my life. And every one of them said yes. You're the first person to tell me no. I said, well, then I appreciate my honesty, and my integrity, and my character, and it's not going. I'm not changing anything. But thank you for your time. And I hung up on the phone. On him. And I told the patient, I said, I think you should get on a lawyer. Um, and uh, she didn't, honestly, uh, because it was like a, a family, friend, whatever. So, okay, whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, but, but that's fraud. Um, so I will not play that kind of game. I will not pad my bills. Um, I will not adjust. You know, I will not charge someone for things that they didn't receive. Uh, I will not do something like if, I, if, if you have a, um, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, you have some sort of offer and you're charging someone $50 for the new patient exam. Oh, you have insurance? Well, what we'll do is you'll pay 50 but I'll charge the insurance $150 or $200. You can't do that. You can't play these kind of games. Um, so, so you really got to be very careful because uh, they really look at chiropractors, especially Medicare, really looks at chiropractors um, uh, you know, with a fine tooth comb. And uh, there have been people in this state who have had to return hundreds and thousands of dollars back to Medicare and other insurance companies because They thought they could get away with stuff, and they they ended up not being able to. Um, So another question. Camille, when do you decide that a patient is showing no improvement with adjustments? What's your next step? That's a great question, Camille. So a patient who uh, is not showing improvement with adjustments. So first off, uh, we do re-exams every 10 visits in the beginning with new new patients, Um, every 10 to 12 visits. So uh, after a pretty short period of time, we're going to know within that first re-exam if they're not improving. Now obviously if we're talking back pain versus autism, it's a very different improvement schedule. Uh, you know, some way, if, if you come into my practice and you have a child with autism, and after the first re-exam, you're saying, we're seeing no improvement, I'd say, you're like, of course you're not seeing any improvement uh, because this is gonna take a while to change this ship. Um, but, um, uh-oh. Oh, we are back. Okay, so, um, so, uh, so it, 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 it let's just assume uh, that we're talking about back pain. Um, because with, uh, with a kid with autism, what we'll usually see is, well, he isn't changing anything. His eye contact is the same and his behaviors are the same. And then we'll do a re-exam we'll see, well, look, your primitive reflexes are getting better. Your, his eyes are tracking better. His, everything else is getting better. So neurologically, he's getting better. So he may not be feeling you know, differently or experiencing differences like that, but he's healing. And we need to give it time for the feeling and the healing to catch up. It's the same thing with back pain. Someone says, I'm not feeling any better. Um, well, let's, let's, let's do a re-exam. This happened a couple weeks ago, actually. So this, this, this uh, uh, person said, uh, she has back pain. She says, I'm not feeling any better. I said, OK, let's do a re-exam. Because uh, we, we, she was, had, was on our eighth visit, and it wasn't really due for one. So well, let's just do it anyway. So the next time she came in, we did a re-exam. And um, she had better range of motion. She had better balance. She had better posture. Her muscles were less tense. Everything was better except what she was feeling and I said you know what I appreciate that you're not feeling you haven't noticed any quote-unquote like actual change but look at the changes here and she's like wow I guess I am doing better and from that point on she's been feeling better she just had to be shown that she has improved and now when she was showed that she was improving now all of a sudden her brain caught up to what you know because a lot of people kind of get stuck in there whatever the symptom it is and they um that's why reexams are so important to kind of give them assurance that we're headed in the right direction so with people like this I'm, I'm doing more re-exams than normal with kids on the spectrum I'm doing more re-exams because we want to make sure that that the parents are seeing changes because you get a kid who's like who's not talking um, and they're still not talking and the parents are like well I just want them to talk well first off that's not my goal I can't get the kid to talk right I'm not a speech therapist um, and second off um, but look at let's look at his prim reflexes. Let's look at other things, let's look at his eye contact, social behavior, less tantrums. Those are the kind of things that we can measure and see that there are improvements on. Uh, so that to me is the is the big thing. The great thing about that situation is that it automatic teaching of the well rounded benefits of paragraph purchases. Well, you didn't fix my back pain, but boy I am sleeping better and mm-hmm. you know, I feel better and you know, my relationships are better whatever, and whatever it's it's all the automatic you would love everybody to get, but they just don't. Mm-hmm. So that's a great piece of that. Yes, yes, Dream. So, so it's to me one of the most important things that I do is is to, is constant education. So, and patients who um, uh, you know think that they're not getting better may in fact be getting better. Now, let's talk about the few times when patients really aren't getting better or they're getting worse. Well, then you can refer them. You know, if I did a reexam like on this this lady I was just you know telling you about this patient and, um, her range of motion was worse, and her posture was worse, and her balance was worse, and um, you know her, all the numbers that we did were worse, uh, I'm like, OK, you know what? Maybe we should get, get a second opinion. And I'll do one of two things. Either I'll refer them. I have a couple of non-surgical orthopedists that I refer to. So they do not do surgery, so they're not surgery happy. So I refer to a non-surgical orthopedist. This is a special kind of field in orthopedics. Um, and I know these people, so, that, so they will always refer them back to me. There's never a don't go back to that quack chiropractor kind of issue. Um, uh, or sometimes I'll refer them to a different kind of chiropractor. So for instance, I'm the, let's say, well, you know, this activated stuff isn't really working for me. I'm like, okay, well, I have a friend of mine up the road at this Gonstead, so let's have you go to the Gonstead chiropractor. So um, that, if that person was worsening and, and like, you know, like everything was worsening, I would probably be concerned. Uh, but it's just like, it's just the same, everything's the same. And I don't feel like I'm getting results, then I might you know, send them to another chiropractor. Good question. So, Erica. Are, oh, yes. There are there are stricter rules and stipulations when you start dealing with PI cases, though. Yes, different story. Yeah. PI cases, which is, I, don't, I only take care of patients who are already patients, so I don't really see them a lot. Uh, but yeah, PI patients, it's a whole different ballgame. You've got to see improvement within a short period of time, uh, and then, but then you should, okay, so let's, let's talk about that. So Shelley brought up a good point. So if we have a PI case, I want to see improvements in two to three weeks, which once again, at, if I'm seeing them three times a week, that's going to be nine visits, I'm doing a re-exam pretty shortly within that you know period of time, I want to start, start seeing some improvement. Most PI cases, if, if there's anything significant, I will absolutely be uh, referring them for MRIs uh, of either cervicals or lumbars based upon where you know, there, there are particular issues or an extremity. So we'll send them out for MRIs and that will give me a lot of information as to like, if I get an MRI back and I got three herniated this, and they're not improving after three weeks, okay, um, I know what, what's going on. Uh, so, but that's a, that's a different board game. So Shelley definitely brings up a good point. Yeah. But that's not my, that's not my main yeah. you know, thing. It's, it's not kind Dr. of stuff. Dr. Carter actually goes into pretty great depth Oh, really? When you get to that class. When okay. When everyone gets to that class. Cool. It's a, it's a phenomenal class. Yeah, Dr. Carter's excellent. He's, he's a great, great teacher on this campus.
1: Um,
0: so Eric asked, I know we have a malaria test, but what are some red flags we should look out for to know a patient may be faking or trying to commit insurance fraud? Um, um, that's a great question. Um, I think it's, it's hard to really know when a person is faking it, but that's why I think re-exams are the best thing to do uh, every 10 visits. Um, maybe even more frequently if you're doing PI cases, or if you're concerned about something, because you can kind of tell when someone is doing better and someone's not like, um, for instance, this, I, I, this never happened, but here's a, just an example. So someone says, oh, my back is just killing me, oh my God, ever since it's car accident, it's not working, and it, it, I just feel horrible, I feel horrible. And, and they're like, oh, okay, so what'd you do yesterday? Oh, I went on a picnic, I went on a hike to Ruby Falls, and uh you know i was in i swam you know uh a lap in the pool a couple laps in the pool really right so a lot of times people will kind of open up their big mouths um when you sort of surprise them with a question like so what'd you do yesterday um you know because if now some people are smart right uh with this kind of fraud stuff and they'll be like oh i didn't do anything oh just just mowed and moan the groan." but here's another thing we have a great tool right now that people don't realize that we can look at and it's called facebook and Instagram, so I have Facebooked and Instagram people to see what's going on with these people, and like, oh, I can't move, I can't move, and now they're, you know, oh, really? Well, what were you doing there? Uh, you know, at that particular sporting event, and it looks like you were dancing pretty good, but you put that thing up there. So those are the kind of things that, you know we it, we can have um, we can use uh, social media uh, to our advantage in that particular case. <clears throat> um, so Morgan asked. Um, do you find instrument or manual adjusting has been better results with normal kiddos, meaning those who don't have sensory issues or spectrum? I use instruments on every kiddo, uh, Morgan, whether they are um, special needs or not. Uh, and I, I find, I mean, and this is just Drew personal opinion, nothing against Gonstead-Thompson, CBP, all that kind of stuff. They're all Every technique is great. You've got to find what's good for you. Um, but I find instrument adjusting is actually... It's produced better results with less technique trauma, with more happy patients, and kids love getting adjusted. Um, with the Activated, they think it's a fun uh, thing. I have clickers all around the office. Kids are constantly clicking their parents and, and dogs that they bring in and whatever, and, and dolls. Um, so I find that, um, that personally speaking, I love instrument adjusting. Uh, I usually don't do instrument adjusting. If you take my advanced class, you'll learn this. I don't do instrument adjusting um, in uh, the first year or so, I generally am not doing a lot of instrument adjusting except for like certain kids with some sort of hip issues maybe, uh, or arm issues. But, um, so I'm usually kind of waiting for instrument adjusting with the littlest ones to like maybe two years old or so, and then I'll start doing it more. Um, but after that, it's almost all activator, um, and with some sustained contact to start with a lot of these special needs kids, but activated with all the other kids. Yeah, so I think activator is, or I mean, it could be tier T or something. Uh, Did you do any, just for the whole factor of maybe soothing for someone who comes in and they're really jacked up, obviously sustained contact, infants up to two years old or whatever, but let's say a eight, nine-year-old kid, and he's just bouncing off the walls, is sustained contact even a possibility, or would you find that even be better to do versus trying to manipulate? Oh, yeah. Because it's a soothing... Yeah, if, if I find a kid is, is unable to sit still, then I will very often... Um, do, well, I do a lot of tonal techniques too, like network and stuff, so I can do network uh, with them. Uh, activator sometimes is a, is a little rough to start with them because they're so like this and you just can't get them to sit still. Um, so, and I, I, one of the things, and we taught this in the advanced technique class, is the cranial sacral, um, the sacral reciprocal motion. So I'll put my hand on their occiput and my other hand like this on their sacrum and just have them sit there and breathe. And then that very often is a great comment if, you know, for these kids. Um, yeah. that's a cool thing too, because then the parents can do it at home. And right. You know, not in the doctor's office, so to speak, and all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a great thing. Um, and Tyler says, "How do you know it's time? For patient, let a patient go. How do you go about releasing them?" Um, that's a that's very interesting. So, um, well, there's, I, I will tell you this, there's two reasons to let a patient go. Um, because uh, that really happens to me, like patients will usually, if, they, if someone leaves my office it's because they've left, uh, not because I asked them to. Uh, but there's been a few patients that uh, we have released from care um, because they are not my kind of patient. Um, so if, you, um, if you're rude, as an example, a couple of years ago, we had a, a mama um, who um, was just really rude to her kids. In my office, and she would yell at them and kind of hit them, uh, not hard, but just just smack them and stuff. And it was very disruptive to the other patients in the practice. She was, I had patients like talk about her, uh, like that that mama is a mean mama. Um, and finally, I confronted her. I said, you know, I, I have no problem with whatever you want to do at home. You do it at home, and if you have this is how you discipline, that's totally fine. But. Uh, you can't do that in this office. And she got really mad at that. And I said, she said, that's, da, 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 this is what I do. And I said, then, then you can't be a patient here because it just, it's not going to work. Um, and she left and, and I was fine. I said, let me give you your records and here's a refund for the rest of the visits that you didn't use and whatever. Um, so, and, and you just do it very nicely. It's always non-judgmental um, because it's just, it's just about the practice. Um, so if, if a patient's, That's the only time I've ever released a patient is if they just don't fit with my. We have like a happy, happy love kind of office. If you're not happy, happy love, usually patients leave themselves. Um, But if they don't, then we just kind of usher them out politely. Um, Miranda, some of these kids will maybe just act more out in the presence of a parent. Do you ever just. Okay, this is an interesting question. So do I ever adjust a child without the parent present? Uh, Rarely. Rarely, rarely, rarely. Um, Usually these kids are not the ones with behavior, also. Though, though you're right, sometimes the kids with behavioral issues will act out more. What I often do with those kids with behavioral issues is I'll give them something to play with during the adjustment. So a lot of the, or, or the parents will bring something for them to play with. A lot of the special needs kids will bring like, you know, spinners, those little fidget tools or other fidget toys. Um, um, we have a, um, this thing that's from TheraBand that's this thing you're supposed to kind of stand on, this uneven thing, and it's got these spiky surfaces on one side, and it's flat on the other side. And, and I'll have the kids kind of hold it and play with the spike. They just love these kids with behavior. They'll go like this with this spiky surface, and they'll play with it, and they'll count the spikes. And, um, and it's plastic, so it's not sharp or anything. But um, it's, it, it's very effective, um, and it's a g- great way to get kids with behavioral issues to, you know, to do something with their hands as you're adjusting them. And a lot of times, um, with these kids, I'm not adjusting them lying face down, I'm just in them seated or lying on their backs. Um, so uh, it makes it a little bit easier for them to, because to make someone lie face down, they may not last. So, um, so y- you, can, you can do a face up adjustment or a seated adjustment, which is what I, we taught in the uh, advanced technique classes. <clears throat> How do you feel about like, 16, 17 year olds that can drive and they come to your office to get adjusted without their parents present, even though they're underage? Great. So, um, so it, the question Jessica asked is, what about a, a, like a 17-year-old who's driving, and comes without their parents? Uh, I make their parents sign a permission slip that I can adjust them without them present. Um, so that's a different story, and so in that case, uh, you know, they, I will adjust them, um, but they've driven themselves, and I have permission from, you know, from their parents. Um, and also, let's talk about permissions. Uh, let's say that someone other than the parent brings a younger kid. Um, you have to get permission from the parents. So if the grandma's gonna bring the kids or the their nanny or you know, whatever is gonna bring the kids, uh, you gotta get permission from the parents, written permission, not verbal, but written permission from the parents that so-and-so is, whenever so-and-so brings that child, then you're able to adjust that child. And because I, I, I have turned people away, if, you know, oh, I, you know, John just couldn't bring you know, a kid and so, I'm the next door neighbor. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, I have to call up the mom right now to get permission that this is okay oh well she told me it would be fine I appreciate that but I need written permission and I send an email and then they send it back to me and then we'll make it work like that great questions